0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: I imagine sometimes, like, when they cut them themselves, like, for some guys, it's probably, like, their first buck that they want to mount, and they just, like, don't really know what they're doing, right? There's some, yeah, that
2: way, and then there's some guys that have just been used to cutting them up for meat all the time, and I think they they don't realize or they get in a hurry or they've got one expert in the group that tends not to be an expert but you know I've told a couple of guys it's like don't let so-and-so skin your buck anymore
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's Chris and I talking about when people bring their deer to him as he shows me an inside out deer hide soft and treated with holes and cuts he will sew up later Chris is a taxidermist, and a damn good one. This was also my first time meeting Chris. I have always been intrigued by the trade, and Jake, who many of you may remember from episode number 7 and number 10, introduced us. The three of us hung out in his shop, walls covered in deer heads and all sorts of critters, deer hoist hanging from the ceiling, deep freezers in the corner, also a pretty sweet bar. I brought my recorder just in case an episode was an opportunity, but really I just wanted to get to know Chris, and I wanted to see him do his thing, and I wanted to possibly learn from him. And as I get talking to Chris, he is somebody that just feels familiar. He feels like someone you've known your whole life, and it felt like we went from strangers to instant friends. And... And mid-conversation, I pushed play. Have you ever messed one up? Or what happens if you mess one up?
2: I mean, when I first started, I felt like I messed them all up, and then you just get panicked, you know? I mean, yeah, you're, you're like, like, is you're this like, good how enough? I, you know, what am I going to do with this? A little bit of hair slipped out, or I cut a hole in his ear, or I cut a hole in the inside of his face, or whatever. But you learn to, like any carpenter or anything, to hide your, hide your mistakes and be able to sew things up, or... Like sometimes on the short skin on the face, you end up gluing things back together versus, versus sewing them back together and things like that. You make mistakes. I mean, it's all, all I have no qualms about it. I can cut holes and things by accident and stuff like that. You're trying to get this so thin that, you know, sometimes you cut and you get a little bit close, but yeah. it's learning how to, you know, fix it up and make it look right. So.
1: Yeah. When did you first start? like charging for it, where you're like, okay, I can actually...
2: Um, look, it kind of started slow, so it started out, like, first couple of guys, it's like, hey, I'll mount your buck for the price of the materials, and then, you know, then they kept bringing things back, and then pretty soon there was more and more, and then so I decided, okay, starting this next season, I'm going to charge, you know, and I charged, I think when I first started, it was like 350 bucks, something like that, and then started charging that way, and then I still feel bad about charging people stuff I don't know why but I do it just doesn't feel the part where we exchange money never feels right to me yeah but because I, I like doing it but I mean it is it's work and you've gotta, you got to you got to pay the bills so
1: yeah yeah um I think I mean you do
2: awesome work oh like, thank you
1: yeah and I think it's definitely worth the money from looking around, for sure. But I think, especially since you love it so much, and you obviously love hunting so much, mm-hmm. it probably does feel strange to charge for something that you yeah, would do for free does. anyway. Yeah,
2: it does. And you know, and there's a lot of times, like the extras, like I'll put a tine back on one, or you know, like we repaired one that yours was pretty much shot in half, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. I, I, shot, I yeah. shot the
3: damn main beam in half. Yeah.
2: <laughs> they fix those things. And sometimes it's just a satisfaction of being like, yeah, it turned out all right. So it's like you learn and then charge the next guy. But <laughs> yeah.
1: Jacob, so. you can be a co host on this if you want to. Oh, God. Yeah. Like you're a returning guest. Three time. Yeah. Three time returning guest Hopefully on Woods and Waters charm. Project. Just better and better yeah. every time.
3: I'm, I'm, I am the fine one. <laughs>
1: you are the fine wine yeah so i read a lot about people talking about their deer from a long time ago not keeping or they Mm -hmm. kept like their grandfather's deer their dad's deer and it starts to like look like crap over time why Mm. does that happen
2: a lot of times it's worth you know a few things i mean it, it can be the the temperature and humidity where they have it sometimes you yeah, they they might keep it in a room that's got a wood burning stove or something like yeah. that, and, yeah. and it just keeps drying out and drying out. Um, sometimes it's it's you know the job that you do or, or the way that things tan. If you don't get the hide thin enough, then you have the there's that much thicker amount that's going to end up having to shrink, and then that'll crack and break. And that makes sense. Yeah. So the thinner you get it, the you know it depends on the glues that you use and stuff. So. Things are getting better and better all the time. I mean, you look back at what people used to use; they'd make chicken wire and papier-mâché to make a you know the same form that you see over there that has all the muscle and everything and you yeah. know, all the detail to it and everything. Yep. So,
1: I've seen that chicken wire poke through in a few mounts that I've yeah, seen yeah. hanging around before.
2: Yeah, it's amazing you see on some of them where they've torn them apart and the type of eyes that are in there. Some of them are glass blown eyes and different things. It's really neat to see what people used in back back in the day
1: yeah that know. is super cool I've always been like really fascinated by taxidermy just I guess from I love hunting but from the like art form yeah, side and, of it
2: and that was I was big into art in high school and stuff and you know junior high and high school I really liked drawing and drew a lot of horses and you know things and did clay and elk and stuff like that you know and it just it seems like a continuation of that you know yeah So yeah,
1: my dad tried to my mom is really artistic. Um, I did not Get any of that from her at all. (laughs) She's a wonderful artist. She's very crafty um, Great at drawing and painting can just make anything Look beautiful. Like Mm -hmm. I don't know if she knows how talented she is But my dad tried talking her into going to taxidermy school because he is an avid hunter loves it and she wanted to be more involved with that world with us kids and him Mm -hmm. and he tried talking her into it and then she just like could not do it. Cause she really can't go hunting with us without shedding a tear. Oh really? Yeah. So she's like, I don't know if I can just skin animals all day. I think she'd be really awesome at it, yeah. but, uh,
2: no that's go. Of, yeah. That's part of the reason that I don't do pets is because I want people happy about what the, you know, what's the, I just, I don't think I could play the role of the, you know, the undertaker role or what is Is that a request? Know? I've had requests. That's actually why I took the my phone number off the back of my truck window. Cause it seemed like driving through town, four out of five requests were, "Hey, do you do pets?" Oh man! And it's like, eh, no, I'd really rather not. So. Um,
1: I've heard of that. I've just never seen that before. Mm-hmm. Like anyone with their pet before, but they have these. Jacob, do you have one? Do you have a coon dog?
3: I don't okay. have.
1: <laughs>
3: I'm just... Lady lady has not taxidermied and sitting on the couch.
2: Okay, <laughs>
3: okay. She's uh, I let them go when they go.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of that's freeze drying too, you know. So like there's some of the like you can see that weasel up there. That's one that I sent down to a place in, in Missouri that does pets and had, had that freeze dried, vacuum freeze dried and then that that's pretty much how they do pets. It's yeah, less invasive in that yeah. way and all that. Just yeah, nobody wants to think about you tearing their cat apart and putting it back together. Right. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that would like mess with me. Be hard most. to
3: stitch fluffy back together. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I kind of forgot that was a thing, so I didn't know it was going to go that direction. Yeah. So I'm a little like thinking I was, about I was my dogs. For it. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's
3: it's the. Uh, it's the gorilla in the room just hanging out off to the side in the taxidermy world.
2: Yeah, it's part of it. I mean, there's all kinds of it. You know, there's, you've got the pets, and then there's rogue taxidermy where they take all kinds of different animals and stick them together, take a fox and put pheasant wings on it and things like that. I mean, you, it's, you can think about it. It's out there. It's yeah.
3: Great. It's yeah. all in how far you want to take it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chris, what do you think? As a taxidermist, for as long as you've been, you know, all the other people wanting to get into it, what's the best route?
2: Um, I think one of the best routes is, is to, to get in with somebody that's doing it and, you know, start working with them, maybe take on doing some of the flushing, you know, some of that part. That's kind of what I did. I thought that worked pretty well for me um you know i wanted to go to 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 like meter school or one of those but at the time i couldn't afford it so i just kept plugging along um but there's so much information out there on youtube and all that and you know there's all kinds of things that you can practice on you can get things from people or pick up you know roadkill do that kind of thing but you know uh, i think the biggest thing is just getting in and and finding somebody that does it and, and and kind of apprenticing a little bit under the, you know under Just
3: them. the comfort that you build yeah by hours of service
2: mm-hmm. yeah 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 and in, in the taxidermy community i mean everybody that i've met in it has been more than willing to help and give you pointers or you know tell you tell you things you know and there's i'm on like four or five facebook pages that you know people will throw their stuff up there and ask for critiques and that kind of thing you know so i mean there's there's all kinds of folks that'll that'll help you out if you look
3: if you just have to be willing to ask for help mhm yeah. yeah i can see that what what is your favorite species or specimen to work on whether it be a deer or a bear
2: i mean i i, I like bobcats are a lot of work so i like those uh, I fight with them sometimes but I think overall deer are still my favorite I mean just they go together nice and you know that I just like the way they look and every single one of them is completely different I mean most people think a deer is a deer is a deer but they're so different color wise yeah. you know I like I don't even the racks don't even do much for me anymore it's just looking at the eyelashes or trying to see if, hey, was he left-handed? Did he rub the tree this way or did he rub that way? Where is he missing hair? You know, look at all these scars, that kind of stuff, you know?
1: When I was young, I could not understand, like, watching a ton of hunting shows. We'd go out and drive around and look for deer and stuff, but my dad or whoever I was, like, with would be able to identify the deer and know it's the same one. And when I was little, I was like, I don't get it. Like, they (laughs) look exactly the same. But that is definitely something as I, like... Gotten in my teenage years and then went hunting way more often, like, yeah, it is way more. Their coloration and their features look completely different. None of them look the same
2: Mm -hmm. at all. No, not at all. And there's so many of these guys that bring stuff in they've got relationships with. I mean, it's like that buck that's that's over there. He's an eight-and-a-half-year-old buck, and the guy's been chasing him for years. And, you know, he's actually going downhill from what he was last year, and... But he's tickled pink, you know, it was like he had a relationship with it and yeah. you know, so and I'd suppose in some ways probably a little bit disappointed that, that that chapter's over and now it's time to go move on to another one, you know. But
1: Yeah, definitely. What's your least favorite thing?
2: Least favorite thing? Um probably that hog I did. I did one great big hog and that thing was hard just the way that they're structured and all the breastplate stuff they have there's just so much to clean up on them and and it's they're just hard to work with they're it's hard to hide stitches it's you know everything for me anyway i haven't done very many so but it was a big 400 pound hog so he was he was something to take on
3: that would be a lot of fat of was a lot of bacon i mean you can
2: see why they can take a bullet you know on the shoulders and the front end because it's that, that plate is yeah. Oh, really their
3: shoulder plate and breast plate <clears throat> is there's they're a tank. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, you know, it's it's amazing. You know, I've, in the hog hunting that I've done. I mean, it, it's crazy to think that there's nothing in nature in their habitat that generally will will hunt them. You know, uh, for instance, a, a friend of mine shot a hog down in Mississippi in a wheat field. And it sat there for three weeks before a coyote was bold enough to go eat on it Hmm. because they're all afraid of them. You know, I mean, you have, you know, a coyote maybe pick off a baby here and there, but there's nothing, you know, in that area in the southeast United States that will prey on them. I mean, they're a badass animal. Hmm. Uh, You know, you get those, you know, a big boar, you know, and the cutter's, that they have, you know, their teeth that, you know, the domestic hog, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll trim those off if they have to, you know, if they're, you know, just an outside hog, they don't really seem the confinements, but you know, nature, they're sitting there all day, sharpening their, you know, their, their hooks or Mm -hmm. cutters, whatever you want to call them. And they're sharper than a knife.
1: We did a, a few years back, we decided to stop exchanging Christmas presents and do a trip together as a family and this is where my mom doesn't come hunting with us anymore, was this trip. We did a hog hunt right in, right outside of McGregor, Iowa. Oh. On a private property. And it was a blizzard. We ended up going with this father-son who got snowed out the day before. And we all went out for, my brother and I were getting a hog and then these two were getting a hog. And they just, we were out there on hundreds and hundreds of acres. Um, all uphill out there it seemed like heavy <laughs> snow my mom came with to record it she was thinking she was going to videotape it my mom's five foot tall so like in the snow up to our our knees like she's like way back there and you know the video is going to be horrible we have to look you know like ants on the screen and we're a little bit nervous for her because the guy who looked like uh, what's his name little country singer like all bedazzled
2: Oh, Justin Moore. No. Little Jimmy Dickens? Yes. He looked
1: just like little Jimmy Dickens. Uh. You know, who owned this property. And uh, he's telling us, like, hey, don't get too far apart, for real. Like, these hogs are mean. He's like, but I've got goats out there that are, you know, also mean. Like, you need to stay close together. So we're trying to, you know, make sure we're all staying within a certain distance of each other. Well, I go off in one direction, and my brother, you hear my brother yell and shoot, and he shoots his hog, and then all of a sudden these three boars come out from the woods and just like attack this other hog and just start beating the crap out of him. Uh-huh. And like, they're just like cra- going crazy. And, uh, we had to kind of, you know, as soon as they saw us, they took off and they would get their direction. But he said that sometimes in those scenarios, they will, they're domesticated to a point cause they are in a fence and they mm-hmm. do get fed by people. But seeing that it was like, Oh my God, I'm really glad that's not me. Like they were <laughs> super scary. Yeah. It was a really cool experience, and it's yeah. really hard to... Even a great shot, they take a minute to die. Oh, yeah. That's... Yeah. They're tough. Yeah. They they're are, super they're tough, tough animals. animals. Yeah.
3: yeah, unless you, you know, put your make a brain shot or something like that, they're, they still got a lot of angry inside of them coming out after mm. you shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the videos you see online are, are legit, you know, of them coming after people. I mean, they... They're afraid of nothing, so yeah. I respect that.
1: Yeah, I imagine like these were a little bit, you know, not so wild. So I can't imagine. I've never been, I've never been wild hog hunting before. But
3: yeah, Chris, um, y'all have kind of talked about what you like to, you know, put up and what you don't like to. I mean, can you walk through the steps of your taxidermy work?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you think about when. Somebody brings a deer in, um, probably 90% of the guys bring them in, you know, caped out up to their neck within a couple inches of inches of the back of the skull. Um, some guys bring them in and like I told you before, I'll skin them for guys, you know, just to make sure that we get it uh, caped out right and everything, but and happy to do that for folks. But, um, so anyway, they'll bring it in, we'll do the paperwork, get everything set up set, So they've got their paperwork and everything and pick out their form and then Know, that that part just yeah, that doesn't take very long. But then um, usually I require a deposit, and then after that I'll keep the keep the deer out the rest of the way. So um, and then from there it goes in the freezer until it comes up in the queue and it's ready to go. And then I'll pull it out, thaw it out, and then you turn the eyes and lips and uh, the eye the eyelids and the lips and the ears. Uh, like you can see on this one, it's you know you can turn completely inside out and um, get that all done, and then uh, get all the uh, all the extra meat and uh, everything off of the hide, and then you can salt it. So you'll salt that once, and then 24 hours later you'll salt it again. So that sets the hair, and kills all the bacteria, and sets the hair. So that way you don't lose any of the hair. And then from there it goes into a pickle, which. I use formic acid and salt and uh, five gallons of water. So it's five gallons of water. Uh, It's like about six ounces of formic acid and uh, about five pounds of salt. And I let it soak in that for three days. And I move it around turn it during those days. And then that plumps the hide up. And then from there, you go back over to the flushing wheel and then I'll flush it and thin this out as as thin as I can get it um, without getting to the hair follicles. And then from there, the cake goes back into the pickle for a day. And then once it comes out of that pickle, uh, then I neutralize it. So it goes from the acid bath, basically, and I'll put it into higher pH uh, solution of water to get it to about a neutral pH. And then I'll put a, what they call a brush on tan to it. And then I'll let that sit in the refrigerator overnight at least. Sometimes I'll let them sit two days in that, make sure they soak all that up. And then wash it and then that's what you see here is nice white wet tan and then uh, wet tan like this as opposed to you've seen like soft tan like you get a pelt yeah. that hangs on the wall and all that yeah. this is when I stretch this over the uh, form uh, then as it dries it'll suck down to the form and then yep. take on the shape of the form so and then, like the stage that I'm in now, I'm just cleaning this one up, get everything else that you can't get with the wheel, clean, thinned out, and all that, and then then it'll be ready to mount. So.
3: It's a heck of a process.
2: Yeah, it takes takes about ten to twelve hours over three weeks to do a complete deer. So.
3: And that the the three weeks, you know, that is that a lot of the gluing time, you know, like you know, once you mount it on your mannequin. Mm-hmm is that the the hide sucking down to the glue or you know everything setting yeah so i'll
2: mount it like to you know i mount it on a sunday usually a lot of the days i'm out here but um, i'll mount it and then over the next couple of days you've still got a little bit of time to move some things around and as things dry and start to shrink you can move your eyelids around and things like that and your earbuds and because the clay use clay in your earbuds and get that shape the way you want it and it's gonna dry out a little bit. The clay that we use is pretty non-shrinking but you're still gonna see a little bit of movement so you've got a couple of days to adjust things and then the next two weeks after that is what it's drying out and then you you know you, keep, you kind of babysit them look at them every couple of days and see if everything's going right if there's something that dries out more than others because you can rehydrate it so I'm gonna move it around if you need to. Um, if you do everything right you usually don't have to so and then after two weeks, then uh, then it's into the finish work. So then you can fix any uh, fix any like uh, if you have any gaps in anything, or if you uh, it had uh, scar that need to be filled in or whatever. Uh, um, but uh, I use epoxy clay, a two part epoxy clay, put that around any gaps in the eyes and in the nose, and and then um, from there uh, go ahead and seal it all with uh, fish sealer is Usually what I do, and then. Um, and then from there, you airbrush and paint it. And then from there, it's a much finished product. Put the, put the hanger on the back and you know, it's ready to go.
3: Center down the road.
2: Yep. <laughs> What's the hardest part? The the hardest part probably for me is just the time on the wheel. I mean, it's, it's there's a lot of back and forth. You know, as you've flushed a lot of coons and stuff like that. But, you know, it's just that repetitive Pulling against that wheel and stuff, it gets working on your shoulder after a while. And standing up, bent over that, you know, yeah. it's it's probably the most physically demanding. The uh, the rest of it, you know, it's not hard. I wouldn't say, but there, each deer is different. Some fit the form perfect. Some you have to make alterations. Some some just you can't figure out what's going on, the things don't want to go where you think they ought to go. And yeah. it takes a little bit of trial and error and kind of moving things around and playing with it to get it the way you want, but.
3: Yeah. I'd imagine it would be tough. Like, you know, a big rutted up buck, you know, how swollen their necks get, you know, there can't be a mannequin that's perfect for that where, you know, he, it's shrinking down and he's still got some.
2: Yeah, and the nice thing about deer mannequins is they make about every, you know, quarter, half inch size starting because deer are so popular, you know, that you, you can buy a 7 and a half inch nose with a this size neck and an eight and a half inch nose with, you know, whatever. You get pretty close, but like I said, there's times where I'll build up with clay or you may have to shave one down, you know. Mm-hmm. You get, you know, a buck that's got an 8-inch eight, eight inch face or bigger, but then it's late-season muzzleloader and he's all, you know, shrunk up because he's about run down and he didn't have anything left. that will fit over his face, but then it won't fit over his neck, and then you've got to, you know, do some things that way. But... Um, for the most part, though, you can buy mannequins that fit pretty much every deer, you know, and get pretty close. Yeah. You know, I don't do tons of alterations and that kind of thing. There's a lot of folks that I think that they'll make different poses and things and cut, cut them apart and do a lot of stuff. I tend not to do that just mainly because time that I have and that kind of stuff. But, yeah, you know, but like, for instance, bobcats and coyotes and things there's not as many forms available for out those. So like a lot of times I'll get a bobcat and I'll get I have to get one that fits his head or the how big around his belly is. But then I may have to lengthen him out two inches or three inches, you know, and you have to do a lot of that. So, cause we just don't make a form for every like quarter inch all the way up.
3: I remember that coyote, what was that? Three years ago now that I brought you mm-hmm. and had done.
2: That was the biggest coyote I'd ever seen. I mean, I was almost to the point where I was looking for a small wolf form to, be able to put that on that was that was a big coyote
3: how like you know in that situation how do you go about adding to the you know that form is it is it just with your like a a clay or epoxy to like swell it up more or add to it and then shave it down to where you need it or
2: yeah it depends on on what dimensions you need sometimes it'll be clay and stuff if it's not a big dimension that you need to have Um, otherwise i use two-part foam And then i'll cut the foam in half and then or i'll build up around with a you know make a cardboard cast kind of around it fill it up with foam and then shave it back down to the size that i need so
3: yeah it's amazing to see like you know earlier you were talking about you know um hiding any mistake you would make but as funny as it sounds i uh i shot the deer the the horn of the deer that i was uh, that i killed one year shot his main beam right in half and I don't really I kind of blacked out for a second when it all transpired but (laughs) I was like Chris can you what can you do here he said oh it's no problem you know it's it's amazing you know and I'm sure people that don't shoot their deer's horns off you know that (laughs) they break on their own or say you know you had a trail camera picture you know, how much is it, you know, if he broke off his G2, you know, and he then he harvested that deer, they wanted that G2 put back on, or, you know, back to length of what it, you know, appeared to be, mm-hmm. what is there to do that? I mean, that's that's gotta be pretty tricky, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean,
2: and so on, well, I do that on several, in fact, there's just a couple one out the door a couple weeks ago that I, I fixed a couple of uh, g you know, it was like a G2 and then a g, G4 on the on the deer. But basically, on an antler like that, you'll you'll drill into the antler and put in a, a wire rod, or um, or a lot of times I'll twist up wire so that it's got some texture to it. Then I'll use a two-part epoxy uh, epoxy sculpt and uh, reshape that antler out of that. Use a little water, and it's kind of just like working with clay for, you've got a couple hours to do that, and get it all the way, the way I, pretty much the way I want it, and then you can sand it like wood afterwards. And then I use, uh, uh, a lot of, um, stain sticks, you know, like a little bit of oak and cherry and different things. And I'll put those on and then use a brush to feather those in, you know, and I'll be the first to tell you there's guys that do a heck of a lot better than me on it. But I mean, my goal is to get it when it's up on the wall on a normal spot on the wall, you're not going to be able to tell me which one it was, Yeah. you know, but, you know, if you get up close, you're going to be able to tell, but, you know, but yeah, I had put up to 40 inches of antler back on one deer at one time. And the kid had wow. pictures of it and everything, and it had been all busted up and, and put it all back on. So he had several trail camera pictures, and, which helps a lot to know what they were. I mean, you can kind of read what's busted off and say, well, I bet it, from the size of it and where it's broke off, it probably went this way, and it was probably about that long. But when you have the trail camera pictures and you can use them for reference and yeah. you know, put them back the way they were.
1: It probably isn't to you, but that sounds like the most intimidating part to me. Some that, of the stuff... The build, you know, rebuilding a, like, a rack if it's busted off. Like, that, does sound, <laughs> that sounds like that would be difficult.
2: And you run into stuff like that. It's just like this deer there I was showing you guys earlier. You know, I'm putting the, the artificial nose on because the buck had his nose tore off basically in a fight. Um, I haven't done this before. So it's going to be kind of as we go, and we'll see how it works out. And you know, it's <laughs> luckily it's for a good buddy of mine, so I'm sure he'll be forgiving if it isn't perfect. But you know, you got to you got to start somewhere, and you got to try, and you only run into them you know so often. So
3: that's what friends uh, are for, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I've experimented on a lot of my friends stuff. You know, and it's like in early in the Year's, I like that bobcat up there. I bought him off of a trapper, and you know, and and that badger and. You know those were experiments, yeah. first time, first time deals. You know, so, yeah. so.
1: Cool. Well, luckily, I know like a guy who's in fur, so hopefully, I yeah. can take him yeah. up on that sometime. You, you won't have
2: any trouble finding critters with him huh? around. <laughs> don't
3: don't let her fool you. She is a coon scraper from way back. Oh yeah, yeah. She, from
1: like a, a month ago, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> he taught he taught me.
3: But she did it did a bang up job. I mean, I don't. I I would I never did ask what your perspective was before and after you had that flesh yeah, and knife in your hands. Yeah, we should have done
1: a podcast about like about that whole process. We yeah. should have done video too. Yeah, the pictures already got enough of a reaction. I can't imagine if we I would have been banned from YouTube. The, appre-
3: <laughs> the appreciation for a, porn a porn fur porn. hanging on the wall, I think just just grew immensely yeah. for her
1: and i helped him with my bare hands pick up all the scrapings oh, all, like, all the grease yeah. he's like you yeah, don't have to do that like nope i did this yeah. yeah i'm gonna prove myself I, yep. I
3: think i think outside of a pig a raccoon is the greasiest animal in like the world. my skin
1: was so and soft. Soft. <laughs> yeah
2: <day>. yeah <laughs> that's what cleaning bears up i mean yeah, the oil just runs off the flushing wheel when you you go to flush a bear up yeah Yeah,
1: and they use the oil for something, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, you can
2: render it down. Oh yeah, yeah, you can render it for about
3: well trade secret. (laughs) You're looking at (laughs) all your all your (laughs) all your all your hand lotions and cosmetics may be uh, uh, bio yeah bio engineered.
2: There you go.
1: Yeah, I think most people have to know that the stuff that they're putting on or in their body is made of unique things. Yeah, yeah, probably like. The final oh, product looks a lot better like, than what it started with. Things.
3: Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> your your cosmetics is really fat. Yeah.
2: Raccoon fat.
3: Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> that pro- that part would probably surprise people, the raccoon part.
3: Chris, what do you think? Um you're you're from around here originally, right? I grew up I mean. in Fort
2: Madison, which is yeah, about eighty miles south there. Yeah.
3: Um what brought you here?
2: Uh, going to the University of Iowa. So I came up here and went to Iowa. I always wanted to go to Iowa out of school. I graduated from a little school, Aquinas, which is a holy trinity now, and uh, came up here to, to school and roomed with one of my buddies from uh, from back home. And yeah, spent my four and a half, almost five years as a, from some of the best years of my life at the University of Iowa, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> It, got a degree out it's, of it in the end too it's amazing <laughs> it's amazing the
3: attractions that yeah. iowa city has to offer besides <laughs> the school right oh
2: yeah well, uh. it was a lot of fun so
1: and earlier before we were recording i think i got this before you, you were kind of self-taught but then also you had someone mentor you
2: yeah right yep yeah a guy named glenn bontrager over uh, he was in Kelowna at the time and yeah he's he's very good i mean i've never i mean i still don't know that i could so the, the way he does eyes on a deer and the expressions and things it's he's very good um, yeah and so yeah I helped him for about a year and then and then started doing it on my own so yeah
1: super cool. I always assume people went to school for it just I didn't know that many taxidermists. I really I still I still don't.
2: I think that's probably the quickest way that you can you know get get some experience and get at it because I mean I've seen some of the stuff that, that guys I know, went to the taxidermy school, and, and they have, you know, a bobcat, a deer, and a fish, and all this stuff, and they've done in a yeah. matter of a few weeks, and get a lot of experience really quick. Um, I don't know, I'd, I'd, I grew up on a farm and everything, and the way I always learn things is you start doing the worst job, and you work your way up to whatever it is, you know, so um, so that's kind of what I did with Glenn, is I started flushing for him, and you know, things like that, and after a while, he let me do a little bit of this or that, or show me you know something else, and then it got to the point where I mounted my own deer in his shop, and then mounted another one. Then I got to where I was helping him do things, and then started doing them my own.
1: I really like that. We talk and every time Jacob's been on the podcast. We talk about miserable hard work and how much we appreciate it. Mm-hmm. it I mean, it, to some extent, this has it has to get kind of
3: monotonous. I yeah, would guess. maybe. Maybe, yeah, times, maybe not.
2: Mon- yeah. You know, there are times you do. 20 deer in a row, you go. Know, well, I think I want to pull a bobcat out tomorrow so I can do something different. Yeah. You know, something yeah. like that. But yeah, I mean, there's parts of it that are work, but I mean, I don't know. As I'm, is anything. Yeah, really? Yeah. yeah. And I don't think anything that's worth it, you know, you got to put work in to get, you know, get anything that's worth it. So,
1: you yeah. Is there any... Well, I'm sure there are, but are there misconceptions? If someone's listening right now and they like, oh, I've always wanted to do taxidermy. Like, is there any uh, words of wisdom or warning?
2: I mean, you'd want to make sure that you got the stomach for parts of it because there's a lot of it in the beginning part of the process is messy and bloody and stinks, and you deal with a lot of things, you know. There's a lot of abscesses in these big old bucks and (laughs) things like that. About the time you poke one of those, not knowing it's coming, that that can be a surprise. So, you know, those kind of things. So as long as you got a pretty good stomach for that kind of thing, and and that you can stick with something because it's, you know, deer a little bit easier. You can do a couple hours here, a couple hours there, and throw it in. That's part of the reason I quit doing turkey so much as I didn't have the time to just sit with a... Turkey from one end to the other because there's not a lot of breaks in that but sure yeah I think you know you you got to like people too to do it I mean it's yeah. it's, <laughs> it's not a you you spend a lot of time out here by yourself but then you, you meet a lot of really great people and you know I've met a lot of people I call friends now you know and stuff that it, you build a customer base and I mean I've got the same guys are bringing two and three deer you know, two-year, year, you know, that kind of thing. Or or they'll get a coyote and something, you know. I'll have multiple things from guys in the same year. And then there'll be a guy that doesn't get anything for a year or two, and then all of a sudden you will bring something and you're just like, you know, it's like seeing an old friend again, you know, when they come in, so. Yeah. Pick
3: Pick right back up on where you guys left off, sending the last animal off the door for him. The what? Picking right up, you know, your relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, they walk through the door, and it's right where you guys were at before, yeah, yeah, it is
2: I mean, it's just yeah, it's like you know, and family walks in the door sometimes, you know it's like you know, and I'd say that's with ninety percent of the customers i mean there's there's a few, it's just like with anything else, but you know then, but i I really enjoy because everybody comes in, and they start telling their stories about what they got, you know how they got it, you know, or something else that they did, or they come in and they see somebody else's. You know, like the other day, I had a couple of things laying on the floor there that were ready to skin, and, and you know, people were just amazed to see them. Hadn't seen, yeah. you know, one of them was a bobcat, and they hadn't seen a bobcat before. and You know, I'm just in awe. And people bring their kids out all the time with them, you know, and the kids are sitting there looking like they're in the zoo, you know, looking at everything. And well,
1: like so, you were saying earlier, like these... You know, most of the time these animals are way more than just the trophy. It's like a story, like Mm -hmm. the eight-and-a-half-year-old deer you're talking about. Like, Mm -hmm. that has to feel pretty good to be a part of that.
2: Yeah, yeah, and somebody trusts you enough to take care of that for them, you know. You know, there's, you have to feel pretty good about
3: that. The biggest, I mean, just, you know, right right off the top, the, the most rewarding part is when to me, anyway, you know, when I come to pick up an animal from you, walking through the door and seeing that animal on your wall, exactly how I seen it. I mean, you know, I do. I I I'm trying to stumble here. Uh, what you put into it, you know. With every, you know, the, the the face of that deer, you know, when you're saying that's what you enjoy, you know, putting it back to be the character of that animal, mm-hmm. you know, when I walked through the animal or you know walk through the door, and seen all the scars on that deer that you did for me, you know, that's exactly how it was the day that I the day that I harvested it, mm-hmm. you know, it's like dang, right there it is, you know, there's that deer again, you know, yep. and that's got to be the most rewarding part for you, is five years from now they can look at that animal on their wall or on the pedestal and be like, there it is, you know, and, and just have that flood of memories come right back.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of a, you know, the, that moment, like you talk about when guys come in, that's kind of a nervous moment for me because, you know, I oh, yeah. see it and like yours, you know, it's all scarred up and everything. I know you, so I wouldn't be so worried about that. But I mean, it's like sometimes <laughs> you, you know, with some of these guys that you don't know as well, you're like, Oh God, I hope he likes it. You know? And it's like, I hope he realizes that that was all, you know, scarred up or that, that little chunk of his ear was out or whatever, you know, and those yeah. kind of things. So, and then they look at it and they're like, they're happy with it, and you're just like, oh, cool. So, and
1: there's a gap of time, too, right? There's like, all yeah, because I mean, it's been almost a
2: year since they've seen it, yeah. you know. So, yeah. You know, I try to keep it down to at least a year, you know, that's that's my goal, so. And it's been a little easier now since kids are, you know, we're empty nesting and kids are not around. So I don't we don't have as many other curricular activities to do. But,
3: so. Chris, a lot of times when I come down here just to talk or bring you something, I, you have a son um, that's out here working. Um, is this business or this trade something that you hope he continues?
2: Yeah, I don't I don't know that he's going to. Um, he he does it. I think out of necessity just as, cause dad won't give him money. Dad will let him work for a little money, but you know, it's, uh, I know, like it. Yeah. But so it's like, you know, you want a little bit of money. Why don't you go, you know, keep out a couple of deer for me or whatever and, and you know, do that. Um, I think he's going to find his niche. You know, he really wants to be in the realty business and that's where he's headed and, and he's hard charging on that. So I think that's where he'd like to do. He, he likes, but it's part of the same deal. He likes to talk to folks and make relationships and all that stuff. And I think that's what's gonna push him through in that.
3: He's definitely able to hold the conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, it's, it's easy to see there's no strangers with him too. It's is same with you, you know, in the business. Um, can you, does your daughter ever help? In here um, or is this
2: Megan helped clean once in a while and do some stuff, but she'd like to come out and just watch what I was doing and things like that, you know. She she didn't have any interest in actually doing any of it herself, which is fine. And but she would come out and talk to me while I'm doing things and stuff like that, which I really liked. But yeah.
1: You have a cool setup too, I'm like, it would be if, if I was dropping an animal off, I'm like, I'm just going to have a beer, and I'm going to sit right here at the <laughs> bar, yeah. and I'm going to watch him do his thing, which probably would, I don't know if that would bother you or not. Oh, no. But...
2: <laughs> nope. No, that doesn't bother me a bit. No, yeah, this is, you know, I spend a lot of time out here, so I try to set it up, you know, be as comfortable as possible, and we have usually a party or two a year, and so we we'll clean everything up, and which is good because it needs to be cleaned up about once a year anyway. Things pile up yeah. A year.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It smells way better than the first shed in here, <laughs> just for all the viewers.
2: Yeah, uh, that's better. <laughs> skinned that coyote out in here the other night. It got a little, little rank, but the yeah, Coyotes sure. are just horrible smelling wise. But
3: they, I don't, I think they just try to find. That's their cologne, I think. It's yeah. Like eat a skunk or roll in a dead pile. Find mm-hmm. something dead and just. Lather up real well. That's yeah.
2: When you were talking about least favorite things, to do skin in a coyote's probably right up there in the top two or three. Yeah. They're just always work. I mean, yep. you have got to really pull on them. You got to skin them out the whole thing down.
3: They they have the thinnest skin in the world for mm-hmm. having such a tough
2: hide. Yep. I feel. Yeah, you would think it would come off a lot easier, and it does, but it doesn't.
3: No, they they're proud of their their fur. They, wear it. <laughs> they want to hang they, on to it. They as wear as it as tight. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, uh, you know, I don't know if the viewers realize, you know, the hours involved, but you know, to me, one thing that uh, it sounds like, or I've learned, is that when you're doing this tax work, it really cuts down on the time you get to hunt.
2: It does, yeah, I mean, I have to really plan. I mean, that's why I pretty much try to get things, so during the week, I'm spending maybe an hour out here every night, or a couple hours every other night, and then having something ready to go on a Sunday and I usually get up for work and stuff at four in the morning anyway so I tend to keep that over the weekends and so I'll still get up and come out here and get one done so I've got time to go on an evening hunt or do whatever you know but you know and I'll still I'll take I'll take time off during during the rut and stuff I usually take a couple weeks off of work and then um, I'll be out here doing things but that's when you get so many guys bringing heads in that, you know, you're out here sometimes till midnight caping things out because you can't, I don't have the freezer space to just throw them in there. Plus you really don't, I don't like freezing them and then pulling them up, thaw them out, you know, that kind of thing. So.
1: I'm probably way overthinking this as I tend to do, but I would think to the opposite of like what Jake's saying is like, I feel like this would make you a better hunter like this practice, like, I feel like you very much have to slow your mind down to do this work well and continue to do it well and have the patience to do it. And I think that, I don't know, maybe, maybe it makes you appreciate it more. I don't. I would feel like maybe that's the it, case. it does
2: make you appreciate it, especially, you know, the time you get to be out there now. You know, it's like since it is less time, it makes you appreciate that. I tend to watch the animals more just to see what they're doing, you know, and get the binoculars up and watch their eyes watch their ears. You know, you'll notice a lot of my deer have their ears back. It seems like to me, 90% of the time a deer's ears are half back or back. And, you know, unless they really hear something, then they're forward. But, you know, um, yeah, I spend a lot of the time just watching, watching what they do. I mean, a hunter
1: probably makes you a way better tax term. I hope so. (laughs) I don't know.
2: But, yeah, I mean, but I love watching. That's why I love to bow hunt, because it's you know, just about that time of the year and being able to see everything that's going on.
1: Are whitetails your favorite thing to hunt, too? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, actually, that's pretty much all I get to hunt much anymore. I mean, I, did, I used to pheasant a lot, and then when I took up bow hunting, that kind of went by the wayside, so. I get that. <laughs> yeah. How
3: long How long have you been bow hunting, Chris? Can you put a number uh,
2: I was 14 when I started. I, we had a annual like God's portion day down at, at, at school and my dad bought me a little 45 pound barry curve. And that's what I started with. And after missing about 10 deer with that, I mail ordered a, a Browning Bushmaster, which is first one of the first compounds I had. Got that when I was in college and got deer like three days after I got it. We were up along the Iowa river there right, you know, uh, Right up by the bridge up there, a friend of mine, uh, Randy Frakes, that was a baseball player up there, and we were both shooting our bows. And then we got permission to go out on a place, out by Solon, and, and I shot a little bitty one, but I was, it was amazing. It was after missing so many and everything else, and actually getting one, it was it was quite the feeling. So yeah.
3: cashed in on everything on that one, you know. It's all that you know, like you say, missing all those just made you want it that much more. Mm-hmm. Steph does a, a lot of uh, mentoring and, you know, she's had, I believe, three introduction to bow hunting classes or shooting. Not, I misspoke. Not even bow hunting, I believe, but it was more just like shooting a bow.
1: Yeah. I've done a lot of intro to archery and then some mentoring new hunters, mm-hmm. some programs for that. Uh, I do some classes related to bow hunting specifically for like teaching um, ethics, safety, vitals, how to track your deer, pick your stand, put your stand up, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. I I just love, it makes me better at, like, I don't ever pretend to know everything. I really, I'm, like, mediocre at best, seriously, at hunting. But I think that teaching and doing that has made me a way better hunter. Just because, like, people ask me things, I'm like, I never really thought about that, and I have to think about that the next time. And
2: Mm -hmm. Well, that's amazing that you do that, because, I mean, there's not a support structure for... A lot of kids, and, and there's a lot of adults out there that want to do it, and they just don't know how to get into it, you know? I actually
1: primarily focus yeah. on adults. Do you? Uh, That started with, it. it's a weird, long story, but I'm really active in, like, pheasants forever. Mm-hmm. I have two Brittany Spaniels, and we pheasant hunt, but I'm a really avid bow hunter, so when you said that earlier, I'm like, yeah, it's so hard for me to choose sometimes, because mm-hmm. once you have your own dog and you work behind your dog, as Jacob you know, would definitely attest to, it's like... It's way bigger than just the hunt at mm-hmm. that point, but I love bow hunting so much. So yeah. it's sometimes hard for me to choose. But um, I go on these tangents, and I don't know what I was talking about in the first place. <laughs> what was I talking about?
2: Oh, <laughs> well, the mentoring. The men just <laughs> the mentoring. Adult, you know, men <laughs> oh, adults, yeah.
1: Because yeah. yeah. Pheasants Forever uh, started doing these uh, women-adult uh, women programs because the thought process was there's – You know, part of it is a financial thing, right? Because we would do all these kid programs. Well, these kids would just be kids of already hunters, right? But we were trying to introduce new kids. And to get those kids introduced or to get them to stay with it, they have to have someone who's going to take them. Also, they don't get to make those financial decisions. Mm -hmm. So we started doing stuff with mom specifically. Because if mom's into it and mom loves it, like she's going to drive that home and take her kids with her Mm -hmm. and make sure it happens. And that brought me like a ton of fulfillment to do that with women because one of like my best friends ever, and she's only been my friend since November, like November last year, uh, she took my intro to women's archery class. And then she signed up for a 10 week mentor program with myself and nine other mentors. And we went from her never shooting a bow, but once to going deer hunting for the first time and now she's gonna take her son. All she wanted to do was do this so she could take her teenage son because he didn't grow up doing it. Mm -hmm. Um and in her culture, uh women weren't allowed to go. So this is like very like rebellious, you know? (laughs) And she is a hell of an archer. Yeah. And she takes her son hunting. And that that's like really feel good.
2: Oh yeah. I mean I think there's no doubt about it that women pay more attention to detail or better shots or, you know, more patient, more calm. They, you know, than than a lot of us guys are. You know, it's just, it just every time uh, you might. I took my daughter out, and she only went out a couple times, and she got a she got a doe, and she was pretty excited about that and stuff. Yeah. but then that was okay. She didn't want to go anymore. Yeah. After that, did it? Dad punched that ticket with you, and we're on to turkeys, and then we went turkey hunting, and that was one of the best days ever. I mean, <laughs> we had uh, wood duck going in and out of a hole right in front of us in the tree, sitting there, and then called the turkey in, and he come running in. She was, like, afraid he was going to, like, get us, but it's like, he's not looking at us, honey. It's like, you got to shoot him. (laughs) And then she shot him, and then, you know, and he's flopping all around, and she's not sure all about that. But it's like, after we got done, it was just, you know, it was just amazing times, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, you got to realize that not everybody gets that lucky to have family members that are already doing it, you know? I mean... It's intimidating. It's a yeah. really
1: intimidating thing to get into if you weren't, yeah. like, raised in it.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I, I started out squirrel hunting with my dad, and then got a pair of beagles, and rabbit hunted, you know, and I'd love that. I'd love to have beagles again, and uh, yeah, and then just, and then it graduated to deer hunting, and pheasant hunting, because we didn't have pheasants down home. 80 miles away, there was no pheasants, but came up here, and there was pheasants around, and, and then got into bow hunting more, and... Yeah, it just, it's a kind of a, you know, it just graduates all the way along the way. But yeah, yeah, for somebody to just come into it and go straight to bow hunting deer, that's got to be kind of intimidating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it was a, it was kind of a, it was a 10 week, like Mm step-by-step program where they shot every day. But these people went from never pulling a bow back to shooting 40 pounds plus. Mm -hmm. And like that in itself intimidates people. Like, can I even pull back enough to ethically kill a deer? Uh, that played with a lot of their heads. And it was cool because we had a handful of people that were, you know, didn't really eat meat or used to be vegan, uh, very much against killing animals. And they, like, came and did it so they could understand it. And then they – some of them walked away with just an appreciation of it, and other ones are going to be, like, avid bow hunters, Mm. you know? And it's like it doesn't matter if all of them stick with it, but they respect it and they get it now. Mm -hmm. Growing up, like, just walking in here – uh a lot of my friends when they come over to our house and stay over and we live in Iowa that always like blows my mind. I didn't grow up with around a lot of hunters around me besides a couple people in my family. But I feel like taxidermy and like heads of animals for non-hunters can be like the first thing that turns people off mm. and they're like, "Oh my god. Poor baby," you know. Yeah. Uh, and just hearing more of the I think the time it takes, and the relationships you build, and the stories you hear, and that deeper understanding of it, hopefully helps people wrap their head around it a little bit more. Because mm-hmm. I think for non-hunters, it is a hard thing to understand. People killing an animal, taking a picture with it, and then like stuffing it—they like, I, I get that's a hard concept mm-hmm. for people too. But I look at their it, head and
2: yeah, it would be it would be hard. I mean, you have to look at it in the sense of it's like. It's a three-dimensional picture. I mean, it's, yeah. it's it's a memory of a time, and it's also a tribute to the animal because you're not wasting anything on it. You know, you're using the meat. You you know, you're gonna make an amount out of it and have something there to be able to remember for as long as you know that you're around. So.
1: Yeah, and now I feel worse about being weirded out about the pet stuffing because I get it. <laughs> oh yeah, I just don't I think I could do too. it. Yeah. <laughs>
2: It's just you know I just you know, yeah I don't know, like I said I, I didn't want people in here sad and crying about their pet I was, you know was, well because that is more personal I guess yeah like, if it, it did is. look it's,
1: yeah you would know if it didn't look like your dog mm-hmm. I feel like but I feel like you'd probably do a pretty good job.
3: It it really shows that you know the the taxidermy end of it really shows that you're not just shooting something to shoot something you know the, right. every, everybody's like you know the non hunting world has an ideal in their head that, you know, by mounting something it's just a a bloodthirsty trophy. Right. In that it's not. You're it's the ultimate it's the ultimate um, you know, idolizing something. That, you know, you harvested it. Like Chris said, you you either you yourself ate the meat or you gave it to somebody that, that utilized it, but you made the investment to have that animal the rest of your life. Yes. You know, I mean, that's, it it really, it it really hits home that the hunt is just the second nature, you know, is is second nature, second product to everything else that's with it. Like you, you come home from a a crappy day at work, see your trophy on the wall, be it a a deer or a squirrel. And now you're happy again because you're going to remember every, every detail about that. You know, Mm -hmm. Is, is there one, you know, I don't know if you guys have much taxidermy work, but is there one animal that you've that, that you have on your wall that you can't give every detail of of how it all played out?
2: Oh no, I mean every single one of these. I mean these most of these deer that are in here are my sons of mine, and I was either there, you know, with him or they're mine, you know, and I was a, the one that took them, and I can remember exactly where it was, what time of the day, you know, what was going on, you know yeah, it's, it just brings it all back as soon as you start looking at it. And then as you get, you know, you hunt the same places and you get three or four deer together, you start looking and you see similarities. It's like, well, this has got to be related to that one because it's got the same this, same that. And you just start looking at all the details again and, you know, and and start, it's, it's just amazing to kind of pick them apart and look at them and, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. My, my dad has this one deer that's, it's really, it's really small. Um, and it's kind of falling apart and I didn't really understand what that deer was doing on the wall next to the rest of them until I got a little older. And he's like, and my dad's not a man of many words, but he's like, that's the first deer I ever shot on my grandpa's farm. Mm-hmm. And he's like, my grandpa was my best friend. He's like, that's my favorite deer by far. Mm-hmm. He's like, there's nothing. And then this last year, my little brother got his first buck. Which is really sentimental for a whole other reason. And he did shotgun. And then my dad, the next day, got basically the second biggest buck he's ever shot uh, out with my brother. And so they just did European mounts, you know. The biggest Mm -hmm. buck my brother's ever gotten, the only buck. And then like the second biggest, the one that actually made my dad sound emotional. I'm like, oh my gosh, are you (laughs) all right? He's like, no, you don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I don't I must still, because he always says, oh, I don't need to go deer hunting. And then just, like, hearing his voice, you're like, oh, you still got it. Mm-hmm. But they got um, the European mounts, like, put together mm-hmm. on the same thing. Yep. Um. So it's, like, a way deeper oh, meaning yeah. for people than I think a lot of people understand, even for the not-so-sentimental, you know? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, no, I've got a board in the other room over there. It's got all the little bucks that I got the first, you know, several years before Iowa really got blown up and getting a lot of big bucks and things around. But in before I got smart enough to figure out how to get them, too. But, yeah, they're just as special as these guys all in here. Yeah. yeah. They're mounted. Yeah. And I can still look at those and tell you where they came from. And yeah. Yeah.
1: That's a really good point. I never really, like... Because when you tell a hunting story and you don't have the pictures or the video or the trophy to look at, it probably gets a little hazy and you start making stuff up a little bit more. It's, <laughs> but It's, when the the one, see it's it, definitely the
3: one that got away. It's the
2: gaps. Yeah, know? when you see it,
1: you're like, this is exactly what happened. Yep. And it, I think that's
3: true. It, it's the pictures or it didn't happen. Well, I got that sucker on the wall right there, so mm-hmm. there's no proof.
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
3: Chris, if uh, there's obviously no video to this, but if somebody wanted to see your work, how do they do it?
2: Oh, uh, there's a couple ways. You can go to Honig Taxidermy on Facebook, and I've got a Facebook page there that, that they can look at. Um, and then the other way is just make an appointment, come down and, and see me down here. So.
3: Right on. What, uh, I mean... Can you throw out your number? Or do you feel comfortable with your business yeah, number?
2: Yeah, no, that's fine. I mean, it's uh, my business number. It's, well, the only number I have, but it's <laughs> 319-330-1912, and it's Honig Tax term. I mean I'm in Riverside, Iowa. But, uh, you know, but, yeah, I'd welcome anybody who wants to come out and take a look at things and or get on the Facebook page and take a look, or I can even send them pictures of things or whatever. I'm, right. I'm easy that way. So,
3: what. And, and we might have talked about this earlier, um, some misconceptions, I guess, of like yeah. the taxidermy world, or you know your work or you know just random questions you get asked, do you think?
2: Oh, that's kind of a tough one. I mean, I think the the big kind of the one thing I kind of go back to is the the whole caping job on a deer. You know, I think that's the biggest misconception is you can have half of his neck and still get a shoulder mount, (laughs) you know, (laughs) um, you know, that's one of the big things, but, uh, the other part of it is I think people think that it takes a year or two years to do one and it doesn't, you're not waiting on how long it takes to do your deer, you're waiting on everybody that's in front of you at the taxidermist. Yeah. You know, I'd say that's probably the biggest misconception because I get, you know, there are some guys that, that call every month and want to see where their deer's at and then there's other ones that you don't hear from till you call them up and they like almost forgot that they had one there you know I mean it runs the gamut but I'd say that's probably the biggest misconception is people think it takes a long long time to do one you know and for kids or for somebody going to the deer classic I've turned some around for them you know in that three week period for them you know to get them where they need to go but for the most part it's you bring it in you know, you're in line, and I do them right in line, so.
3: What's the biggest, everybody, you know, I'm sure you get, oh, what you know, what's the biggest buck you ever mounted, or like, what's the biggest inch-wise? So well, the biggest buck I ever with?
2: mounted was my son's, at two, 219 and 3.8. Um, that's the biggest deer I've ever mounted, as far as rack-wise. Now, this one, of course, like I said, you can't see it on, on the podcast, but the one I called Maximus that I shot out here just west of the house. He was, you know, you hear about 300 pound bucks, yeah. which, yeah, there's there's some out there and probably not as many as people think, but that one was all the 300 plus. I mean, we put him on the back of the four-wheeler and then I had to have my son sit on the front of the four-wheeler just so we could make a turn. <laughs> so it was like, but and it was all we could do to get him up there. But he's he's the biggest form deer I've ever I bought the biggest thing Revolution Taxidermy made and then still added a little bit to it, you know? So that would have been the biggest one body-wise and then like I said, Matt's deer would have been the biggest rack-wise.
1: What has been your, I know you you favor deer, but have Mm -hmm. you had like one particular like work that you've done like maybe your sons or whatever that was like that was your favorite that was the best one the one
2: favorite I've got and there's well there's kind of two but the one real favorite I have is a bobcat that I did that was laying on a limb with his you know legs just hanging down yeah that thing you know and it's like I said some some animals you fight to put together some ones you don't and all that but this one just fell together looked perfect you know just like I was never more pleased with anything did you surprise
1: yourself you're like yeah i didn't want to let it go really i was like kind
2: of upset when they came to pick it up (laughs) but you know i really liked it but it's yeah it's living just a few miles away from here so i've got to see it a couple times but
3: chris that badger every time i walk in here i'm always impressed with this badger that you have sitting over there i mean to me i mean it looks kind of like a western badger i mean just how he's furred up and then mm-hmm. the look and the, and the scenery that you have with him. But one thing that, you know, it seems like a taxidermist will specialize in one thing or another, you know, and your willingness to take on pretty well everything, you know, that's what impresses me a lot.
2: It's, yeah, it's a lot of the fun of it. I mean, so, cause there's times you run, well, wonder what this is like, you know, um, you know, I don't get to do very many red foxes I did one of those a couple of years ago, and' it's just beautiful the way they turn out. and you know it's the the basic steps are the same, but it's you know you got to get your reference and look at the different animals. but yeah, that badger that you're talking about, he came from just here right in Riverside, it was a young kid that had it and bought it off of him to practice on. and it was a big female, probably the biggest female badger I've ever seen in my life. and yeah, it was it was fun to do. And there were things that I learned on that from other taxidermists. They're, they're really fatty, like like um, raccoons and other things. And then being able to clean that all up and and some of the things you use on it and get that tanned the way I should have and everything. You know, it's like so it was a learning experience. And it's always fun to take on you know different species and and see how they go together. And...
3: Now I know you you've went on several black bear hunts. Mm-hmm. Um, what what drew you to go, you know, want to chase a, a bear? Anything, just the draw of it or?
2: I think it's the excitement of it. I mean, when I when I got the, the bear that's over there, I mean, I shot her with a bow and I've never shook so bad. I mean, <laughs> not even my first white tail did I shake that bad. And then to have to go tromping through the brush to 99% sure it's dead. But you still don't know, and you're going, this is stupid. I'm walking with a bow through this brush going to get this bear. But, you know, it's just an amazing experience. And then, plus, I like going different places, you know, and going to Canada and and, and bears was always one thing I wanted to do. And So, yeah, it was a pretty exciting time.
1: It's on my list. Have you been bear hunting, Jake?
3: Yeah. Yeah?
1: Yeah. I'm sorry that I forgot that. I'm pretty sure you've told me that. We've
3: talked about this. With with hounds and over a Yeah, stand. that would
2: be one I'd like to try, as with hounds, maybe out in the Carolinas. I always see like that'd be a good place to go.
3: North Carolina, arguably the biggest the biggest bears, bears yeah. in the in the country mm-hmm. of suckers out there, are, you know. And and it's amazing. You'd think you know that there's not much to you know chasing one with a hound, but they make you earn it out there, especially. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they know they're being chased or pursued. And as soon as they hear those hounds coming on them, they're like, "All right, you know, I'll run over this mountain and make you chase me." <laughs> so there's yep. there's definitely an earn it factor.
2: Yep, and uh, you know that's part of why I do this hire too. I mean, you know, you make a little bit of money, and that goes into my, you know, fun fund, and that's where I go do my hunts with and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. So. I, uh, in the beginning of my podcast, I used to ask everybody this at the end and maybe I should start doing it cause I'm just, I just want to know what's your next adventure.
2: My next adventure, I think we're going to go back to, uh, Nebraska, Western Nebraska, antelope and mule deer hunt. So yeah, that's, I think that's what's kind of in store for us this year. I got my one of my best buddies that that I like to do this stuff with. His kids are still pretty small, so we're trying to. I'm raring to go because my kids are out of the house. Yeah. I can drop. <laughs> I can go tomorrow if we needed to go. But he's got plan a little bit more, so I think we're and then we're we're applying for points out in Colorado and and uh, I think we're going to maybe apply in New Mexico for elk. So. very cool. Yeah, so all Um all. It depends. It depends on where we go. If we got New Mexico, I'd probably, I'd, we'll probably go bow there and I'd like to do a muzzleloader hunt in Colorado, but yeah. I like to black powder hunt too a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's my second favorite after yeah, bow hunting. Yeah. Mine too. Yep.
1: Thank you, Chris, so much for your hospitality. I had a lot of fun talking to you and can't wait to take you up on some lessons. And thank you so much, Jake, for introducing me to such cool people. This community is amazing, and I am so blessed. And thank you to all of you. So much love, so much love. Until next time.